There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Nicola Bateman, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with South African champion Nicola Bateman about stamina and the value of civility, as well as hear her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you doing, Catherine? Oh, Jocelyn, I'm great. How are you? Fine. Well, so what's going on? <laughs> well, I'm very excited to talk to you today because I have learned a new convention. And at this point in my bridge career, I thought I had heard of most of the conventions. I certainly haven't learned them all, but I've heard of most conventions. It's rare that I come across one that I yet to know about, but I have learned a new convention that I didn't know of previously. And so I thought I would save it and share it with you on the show. Are you ready? I am at the edge of my seat. Okay. Okay. And if you want to get a pen and paper out, because there are a couple of conditions for this convention. So I'll set it up for you so you understand the context. Okay. I'm getting my pen, getting my, my paper. Okay. Okay. Well, it's actually one of the oldest conventions. And so again, I'm really surprised that I hadn't heard of it. But here there are a couple of conditions for using it. So first of all, you need a very shapely mid-range hand. Okay. So you want probably at least a six, five shape with about eight to nine points that have got some defensive value so that if the ops were allowed to play, for example, you might actually take a trick or two, right? Okay. And then it also really helps if you've had very little sleep. 
or a little bit stressed, that your ability to reason is deeply compromised. And then what you do is you open the bidding one heart and when the opponents make a takeout double and find their fourth spade game, you then bid five clubs, even though you're vulnerable and they're not, and then they double you so that instead of them having 450 points, they now have 1,700 points for a top board and you get a zero. And it probably won't surprise you to know that the convention is called the Oive Convention, <laughs> which is Yiddish. It's the Hebrew equivalent of Oivavoy. And I read on Wikipedia that it is approximately the opposite meaning of Mazel Tov. And <laughs> the great thing about this convention is it helps you to find out exactly what your partner thinks of you. And so if you're unclear about where you stand, or if you're not sure, you know, the, 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 um, robustness of the partnership, it's a very effective way of clarifying the status of that relationship going forward. So there we are. I share it with you, the Oyve Convention. And if your partner is still speaking to you later, you can thank me for it. You're welcome. Oh, that's, that is so funny. That's very funny. Oh, it's not very funny. I thought it was going to be one of these things that, you know, you had negative 1700, but really the opponents have a grand on and they're going to find it. So it's wonderful. But, but no, it's the Oyve, Oyvesmir convention. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Oyve convention, the Oyve boy. My partner, for some reason, was still speaking to me afterwards. So that was deeply gratifying because if they had decided to drop me, I would have completely understood. I suppose if you are trying to get someone to break up with you, you could always try. <laughs> yes, that's the perfect way to go. That reminds me, it was just last night that I learned about the blame transfer, which I thought was just a general convention, but actually it, it really has a canonical meaning as it turns out. So the blame transfer goes like this, one no trump, and then you transfer, let's say, two hearts. You say two diamonds, transfers to two hearts, and then the transfer or bids three hearts. And that is the blame transfer because you're in the situation that if the opener goes to four hearts but doesn't make it, you've transferred the blame to the opener. If the <laughs> partner <laughs> doesn't go to four hearts but they make the 10 tricks, then you've still effectively transferred the blame. And it's that's why it's the apparently the quintessential blame transfer bit, which I thought was very cute. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And we'll be right back. Support for Sorry Partner comes from Bridge with Larry Cohen, home of the Bridge Made Simple webinars at www.larryco.com. For loads of videos, practice hands, and our favorite, the quizzes. Thanks, Larry. Well, Jocelyn, we've had a couple of letters in the mailbag, but I found a short one that's possibly not unrelated. It's from Leon in Melbourne, and the subject line is fortune-telling. Would you like me to read it to you? Oh, of course. Okay. I was a new player and was playing with a very experienced player in a club championship. I bid six no trump, to which my partner said the ops would have to revoke for me to make the contract. Well, guess what? They revoked, and I made my six no trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 
I guess better to be lucky than good, <laughs> as the saying goes. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because when I describe bridge and duplicate bridge in particular to people who don't play, I try to explain it as far as the the luck is sort of removed because it doesn't matter whether you get good cards or bad cards because you're not necessarily competing to get the best cards. You're competing to do the best with the cards that you are given. And so from that point of view, you know, luck as far as what you're dealt is is not so significant. But yeah, it definitely matters like who you play a particular hand against. I mean, we had the terrible misfortune, as we seem to do very frequently against this one pair that bids the slam that nobody else bids and they make it and nobody else does. And I'm, I'm, I, it's just, I don't want to play against those people when they have that slam on that six clubs on that nobody else comes close to making or bidding. And it's just, it's a friend. And I've told him if he keeps bidding those slams, then I might not give him a ride home after after the game anymore. <laughs> but stepping back, what is it about that pair? Are they just that much better than everybody else? What is going on? <laughs> they're really good. They are really good. And they're, yeah, they're, they're really good. But I've definitely been a beneficiary like your letter writer when you get somebody revoking or somebody botches an ace asking convention and, and leaves someone in the key card response as opposed to going back to the, the proper suit. Oh, yeah, I know. I absolutely know what you're talking about. And then as you were saying that, I was also thinking about that notion of being in the zone. Have you had that experience where sometimes everything goes right and you just know it's going to go right? You just have this feeling like, yeah, it's my game and it is. And it doesn't matter what anyone does. Every hand is your hand. And then other times, you know, those games where the first board is a disaster and you think, oh, no, it's going to be okay. I'll pick up. And then the second board's a disaster. <laughs> and then it's just like, doesn't seem to matter what you do. Every hand is awful. And I think that that is also somehow in the luck category as well. Do you relate to that? Do you know what I mean? Well, I can relate to things feeling like they're just going wrong. <laughs> I'm not so sure that I've ever felt like I had such a, a strong command of a particular session or set. Well, command's the wrong word because that implies some agency. I'm just talking more <laughs> about those moments. They're very rare. But you know, when you just, when somehow it's all coming together. Okay. When everything seems to be going your way. Yeah, I can say. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> maybe not as often as the other way. <laughs> I also think that the power of suggestion is enormous. And I know this dovetails into issues about self-talk and anyone in a competitive enterprise, particularly athletes, giving themselves positive messages. But I find in all areas of life, it's uncanny the extent to which if you're told something is going to happen, you will lean into it happening. And if you're told something's not going to happen, you'll lean into it not happening. And that it's it's almost a part of the human condition to perform to a set of expectations. I, I remember in the interview that we did with Kieran Nada, and she was talking about how she's very optimistic and that as a consequence, she sees things that other players often miss. It's so interesting. I want to really experience players without even intending to start to leverage that experience in the ways that they interact with other people at the table. So like going back to to our letter writer, Leon, and 
And that player just probably without even thinking about it made that comment at the table about the opponents having to revoke. And it's almost like this gamesmanship, obviously, like I'm sure he didn't literally mean it, but it plays on a a deep understanding maybe of psychology and suggestibility, you know. And, you know, I want to say, for example, when your friends sit down at the table, that's implicit that they're going to do well and that maybe you're not. And so it becomes this other layer (laughs) about what's going on. Oh, I think there's something there, but I also think they're just damn good. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think, I don't know that it's anything that we are doing. It's just they have the confidence to bid their slams. They're always laughing about how they don't even play a lot of conventions. <laughs> That's so awful. And it's really awful. So they just do it based on card sense and really excellent declarer play, I would say. But maybe the takeaway for us is the power of positive thinking and just really trying to, you know, stay present and positive in the moment. That's not always so easy for some of us who just have developed the the protective sense of always expecting the worst (laughs) so that we're not so disappointed all the time (laughs) with the outcome. (laughs) I'm I'm talking about a friend. I mean, you've got someone sitting down at the table who you know is really good, who's who's freely caring on about the, the natural system and how they don't play many gadgets. And what are you supposed to do? <laughs> Cry. Yes. <laughs> tell them tell them that they need to learn the Oive system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that might do it for them. If you have a funny story about the power of positive thinking or your use of the Oive convention or the blame transfer, please send it to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com and maybe we'll read it out on the show. Coming up next, our interview with Nicola Bateman. South African champion Nicola Bateman learned to play bridge at university, but she didn't start playing competitively until her children had finished school. She has since won many high-level tournaments, including the National Women's Pairs, the National Women's Teams, and the National Open Pairs. She has also represented South Africa at the African Bridge Federation Zonal Championships, and twice at the World Mind Sports Games. We began by asking her about her earliest memory of the game. Well, I think I was about four, and uh, my grandparents had a farm in the Karoo, which is a, it's a vast semi-desert area in South Africa. And uh, there was nothing much to do at night, but if we were very quiet, we were allowed to watch my grandparents and my parents play their Goran Bridge. So I came to play at a very young age. As both my parents played and loved the game. I had two siblings, so many an evening or afternoon in bad weather, uh, four of us would play. And my parents uh, were very patient and encouraging. So that was my very early experience of bridge. And at what point did you switch out of Goran Bridge to more modern systems? When I was at university, we started, um, got into a bridge group there, and they had all changed. So somebody gave me a whole page of Akal notes and said, well, learn it before next week. So I did. So you started playing competitively at university? No, not at all. It was just a very informal game in the canteen at lunchtime or between lectures. There seemed to be an ongoing game. 
24 hours a day. And how many people would play in these games? People came and went. Uh, we'd say, keep my place. I'm just going to a maths lecture. When I come back, I'm going to be sitting here. <laughs> it was it was fun bridge. It was really just a group of friends. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And how did you transition to playing competitive bridge? Uh, when my children finished school, I was sort of wondering what I would do on Saturday afternoons when there was no more sport, where we spent the whole day there. And then a friend phoned and said, let's go to the club. So with great trepidation, I went, and that was the start of 20 years of wonderful bridge. You compete at a very high level now. Can you paint a picture for us about the journey from, say, your first time at a club to where you are now? Yes. Uh, well, when we first played, we were just doing what we always did. And then I started, uh, my friends were going for lessons, and I thought, why on earth would people go for bridge lessons? You know, if you play bridge, you play bridge. And I was quite fascinated. So a friend asked me if I would fill in once. So I went along and our very, very top player was teaching. And it was just unbelievable. I learned things I'd never thought about. And he said to me, you know, if, if you put your mind to it, you could probably become a top player. And that's how it happened. That's exciting. I'd like to find out... What was it at that first lesson that made the teacher single you out as having a special aptitude and great potential? I think it was that I was absolutely mesmerized and I was just soaking in every word he said. And some of the friends or other bridge pupils there, they just kept saying, oh, we want to play, we want to play. But I was just listening to this whole new world. And I think you could see that I wasn't just there to play a game of bridge. And do you remember immediately after, like, do you remember going home after that lesson, what you were thinking about? Yes, I was thinking that he was absolutely crazy. But I guess what I'm wondering is, once that light bulb went off for you, do you remember 
thinking about bridge now in a different way? Do you remember that sense of being transported from one state where you were almost like a, a, a social player to having that different mindset of seeing the depth of the game? I think it's uh, opened my mind that there was so much more to the game than just sitting playing cards and making bids that we did every day. That there were conventions, much more serious play, visualizing the hands, that sort of thing, as to just playing cards and making a bid. Yeah. So you persisted with the lessons and then do you remember, say, going to your first competition? Yes. I remember with great trepidation. I was so nervous, but I had a lovely partner and we just got into the swing of things and we came first in the C-section, which was just amazing to us. And so we thought, okay, we'll go again next week. And they had another competition. So we thought, okay, we'll play. And we didn't have partners, so they found two partners for us. And we played and we played and we played and we won our section. So we, you know, we thought, well, we'll go and get our prize because nobody had announced. And they said, oh, well, there's no prize. Uh, you know, you've got to represent our province in Cape Town. <laughs> so off we went. That was the really start of the big time. So you were in a qualifying match and you didn't even realize? No, 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 I <laughs> Nicola, what do you love most about bridge? Well, I really love the challenge and I love being with interesting people, meeting people. I love traveling and going overseas and generally I just love the game. Have you traveled a lot for bridge? Yes, well, certainly nationally, we travel all the time. And yes, I've been fortunate to go overseas many times representing South Africa and um, hoping to do many more in the future. Do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play? Well, the best tournaments are definitely the international ones, and I love the European Championship. I've only played in it once, but I'm dying to go again. And then nationally, we have an interclub event. And it's played in quite a friendly manner, which is quite unusual for bridge. So I really enjoy that. What do you think it is about that particular tournament that makes it so friendly, mellow? It's because it's not a, a huge event and it's played by so many people of different levels. You know, they're clubs from all over the country. So, you know, weaker players can get into a smaller club in a sort of remote area or whatever. So it's, it may be people also that we don't play very often or never actually at big tournaments. What do you think your particular strength is in the game? Um, I think being a friend, friendly to the opponents and courteous and polite to my partner. I think that's such an important part of the game, which is overlooked by many, many people. Could you talk a little more about that? Well, I think a, a lot of partnerships are destroyed and it doesn't work well for them by people being judgmental and result merchants and getting angry with their partners. There's no good side to that. So I, I consider that a very important part. I know many players consider themselves world-class players, and they are, but I think being a good partner is 50% of the game. And if you're not achieving that, you can't call yourself world class. So you see people not being generous to their partners? 
all the time. At a high level? Yes, especially at a high level. Without naming names, are you able to share any experiences that you've witnessed? Well, uh, many where a player will shout at his partner or pick him out for something at the table, which is a very bad place. You know, I think always after the session with a serious partner, uh, one should quietly go through the boards together and discuss, you know, maybe where your partner made a mistake or where you had a misunderstanding, but not to be judgmental. The, the greatest thing is to keep a respect for each other. And I think once that gets eroded, things will go badly. Is there an aspect to the game that you feel is your weakest area? Well, it used to be, it probably still is, playing against our very top players. They're all men. And I used to find that very intimidating, but uh, I'm working on it. (laughs) How are you working on that? Well, it's quite difficult because it's not a bridge challenge as much as a a self-confidence challenge. So just to improve my game more and to relax and play the cards and not play the people. What is the most challenging aspect of the bridge partnership? Oh, definitely not to be judgmental or to be a result merchant, just to be a good partner, to keep being positive and encouraging to your partner and to get the best results by doing that. Do you tend to socialize mostly with fellow bridge players or separate from bridge players? Oh, very much. We have a huge group of bridge friends and uh, certainly when we're away, uh, we go for dinners, lunches, and everything. But now uh, we have we all become very good friends, and we have dinners, and we have a wonderful time. I just feel sorry for some of the spouses who come because it's just inevitable, somewhat <laughs> along the line, that someone's going to say, "Do you remember that hand?" And suddenly the whole conversation becomes bridge for at least two hours. <laughs> <laughs> What's the closest you've ever come? to quitting bridge? I think it was uh, probably my first few tournaments where I just was so exhausted and I sort of lost my mental stamina to play for a long time, you know, after four days or something like that. And I'd come back home and think, no, it's not for me. But you get over that and I, uh, I love the game. And also a few years ago, I started playing golf and I got so hooked on that that I thought, no, this is a much better game than bridge. But I've also discovered that you can do both. <laughs> How did you recharge your batteries and find your way back to the bridge table? So I think you build up the stamina as you go over the years, certainly. Now I look forward to a long tournament because it's much more fun and uh, more hands and you can learn more. Thinking about after those first few long tournaments where you were exhausted, Knowing what you know now, what is it that you would have told your earlier bridge-playing self? Just to relax more, take each hand as it comes, don't think about how many more days, how many more boards, just relax. I think that's a big part of overcoming mental exhaustion, really. Do you have any methods that you use now to relax? In a big tournament, 
away, we will all go for dinner afterwards and talk through all the heads. And then normally I'm more relaxed about it. But if I go straight home, I always, I do, I have a bath. I think of all the mistakes I made, what I could have done, how I'll remember not to do it again. And make sure that when I get to bed, I just don't think about bridge again. It's not that easy. <laughs> do you have a favorite convention? Yes, I, I like Jacoby. Jacoby Tuno Trump or Jacoby Transfer? Oh, yes, Jacoby Tuno Trump. I do enjoy it because, uh, you know, there's a whole sequence of getting information and it's normally very successful. In Australia, they play No Trump Raises a lot, which means that you can't play Jacoby Tuno Trump. Does anyone in South Africa play that raise structure or does everyone play Jacoby Tuno Trump? Oh, no. People have all different systems here. And uh, there are a lot of people who play Jacoby and they have different variations of it. So I don't know other people who play it, but, uh, you know, play it differently. But it's, it's, it's used a lot. Can you tell me a little bit more about what it is that you like? What problem does it solve that you think it works really well for? Well, you're just able to, first of all, you're in the game force and then you can ask for shortage. You can show a second side suit. You can show a stronger hand, a weaker hand, also many options and you can do it, you know, at one level, really. So it's quite versatile. I think so. What about conventions that you don't like or that you think are a waste of time? Well, there's my worst convention is Gestem. I just feel gives too much information to the op- opponents. So they can work out what your partner's got, how to play the hand, um, but it just gives too much information away. I'm not familiar with Gestem. Can you explain it? Oh, it's showing two five-card suits, two five or longer suits. But it shows these specific suits, and we prefer just to show it could be five, four, and uh, the opponents often won't know what your second suit is. So they don't have a roadmap if they win the auction how to actually play the hand. Is it a defense over, say, an opening bid by opponents, or is it an opening bid in and of itself? Oh, no, it's a defense. It's over an opening bid. Could you give us a sequence? Okay, so if the opponents open, for example, a heart, uh, you would bid two no trumps, which shows the extremes suits that they have. So that would be spades and clubs. As opposed to the two lowest. Yes. Right. Yeah. Got it. Got it. But uh, specifically with that system, it shows the exact suits, not just another minor or another suit with it. Right. I think it was invented by Pierre Gestem. I think he was a French bridge player. And so our teacher said he didn't like to play it. And he said, and I have to tell you that I met Pierre Gestem, and he said he doesn't play it himself. (laughs) (laughs) what's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given five letters t-h-i-n-k think and then my very good bridge teacher he always says take all your tricks and my advice is enjoy the game that's really wonderful thank you so much it's a pleasure thank you very much and that's the show Thanks to Nicola Bateman. This program is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. 
Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram. Or you can send us a voice message at www.speakpipe.com slash sorrypartnerpodcast. The link is in the show notes along with some other good stuff. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Nicholas says, think. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. Bye. Bye. <laughs> hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.